but I would say that this is not sustainable. It's not going to go on forever. I don't know when the bubble bursts, but it's going to. What state is the furnishings industry in in 2020? We're going to find out with Warren Schulberg. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your interior design business? Then welcome to Wingnut Social, the podcast specifically designed to accelerate your business through increased social media presence, impactful online content, and translating industry experience into physical success. This is your design business tightly fastened. Now welcome the hosts of Wingnut Social, Darla Powell and Natalie Graff. Hey there, and welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast. I'm your host, the Grand High Poobah of all things Wingnut, Darla Jethro Powell. And I'm joined by the soulless ginger, Natalie Ann Graff. Natalie, how the hell are you? I'm good. I was kind of thinking we should bring back the crime-fighting giraffe. I thought that was funny. We should do another episode. We should. We should do a, like a part two. And like just ad-lib it. The return of the giraffe. Ooh. This okay, time. We got to think about that. But can we do that after she's we've She's seeking had- revenge. <laughs> can we do that after we've had plenty of whiskey so it's funny? So pretty much any time you're saying? Our listeners are going to think we're luscious. Natalie, we've learned a very difficult lesson with the interior design side of our business, Darla Powell Interiors. You guys know that work with trades and work with subs and general contractors that you really have to vet them thoroughly. And we do. We do at Darla Powell Interiors. All of our subs and trades are anal. Pretty, oh, we have. pretty much like me. And Darla said that you have to kiss a lot of frogs before you finally find that prince. That's what I tell our clients. We've kissed a lot of frogs. We have. But one came through with some warts. Yes. It slipped by the ever so detective sleuth sergeant that we have here on staff. Uh, no. Oh, it didn't like, slip by me. Yeah, but. No, it okay, by. so it slipped by some of us. And just <laughs> a word of the warning, guys. Make sure you. A word vet- of the warning? A word for the. To? How? I, I don't know. A word of know. warning. Yeah, I have no idea. Okay, warning, 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 warning. How's that? Warning, warning, warning. Just make sure you really vet your trades, ask to see previous jobs, maybe some recommendations like, hey, do you guys have some former clients I can call, some former designers you worked with? I think that would be the best. So we do vet our trades. We have them start either on our own home or some small projects, see how they work, see what kind of systems and processes they have in place. Or a family's home. But there was one recently that we filled and thank god it was just a it was a small role and it's no damage no harm no foul but we didn't go and call other designers and it turned out to be a little bit of a show it did and thank goodness that the giraffe here is a amish farmer and (laughs) (laughs) was able to procure secure procure get was able to get yeah i called up my daddy I said, Daddy, I'm going to trade you my open truck for your enclosed van because we have to make a delivery personally because sometimes... Did you say this with a piece of straw in your teeth? Uh, yeah, I pulled a piece of weed out of the ground when I was talking to him and I was talking like this. I hey, Dad, I need to come over because like, I really got to buy this. Is it all right with you? I'll bring you some sweet tea. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. yeah so Hilarious, we, Darla. We ended up doing our own custom furnishings delivery today and the client loved it. It was gorgeous. But oh my gosh, how many times have we tried and tried to get this delivered? Oh, yeah, it'll be delivered then. It'll be delivered then. Oh, it's raining. Oh, my, my dog had to fart. It's just like it, so many excuses. Did it or did it not feel like 
like the weight of the world was lifted off our shoulders this morning? Yes, thank God she loved it. It was stunning. It was really well done. But not everybody has that same sense of when you say you're going to be there on time, you damn well better be there on time. That's really important. So guys, anyway, just our word of warning is to when you vet your trades, call some other designers they worked with, really vet them. Don't, don't fall for a nice personality and some stunning work that they've done. And that's just our... That's our little like two cents, three cents, four cents, five... That's what do our, we got? That's our little public service announcement. Ready? Oh. The more you know. Do, 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 do. Darla, why don't we talk about this next guest? Because he's really interesting with the furniture industry and the market and where it's going and brick and mortar and all Let's that Let's talk about stuff. this guest. He's really interesting. He knows a lot about that there furniture. Oh, now you're sounding like me with the straw in my mouth and, and sipping on my sweet tea. Natalie, I found this, I discovered this, I should say, next guest, as I was reading Forbes magazine online, because that's where all the magazines are going anymore, don't you know? His name is Warren Schulberg, and I was reading an article from Forbes.com on the furnishings industry, and the article I was happening, I was happening, I happened to read. You sound like me. I know, I was happening, I was having to read. I was having to. <laughs> Had to do with layoffs and some of the big box stores in the furnishings industry, and the more I read into him, I discovered he was an actual industry expert for the furniture industry. So I was like, aha, let's find out what the state of the industry is by somebody in the know. Light bulb. Light bulb, genius. Okay, so who is this Warren Schulberg? Well, Warren Schulberg knows retail. He's a regular contributor to Forbes.com and the business of home, as well as his own blog, stupidbusiness.com, which is an amazing, terrific name right up my alley, as a former editor-in-chief for several leading business-to-business publications specializing in home furnishings retailing. He has chronicled the good, the bad, and the ugly <laughs> of the business in a career spanning four decades. That's a lot. He must have started when he was 10. His award-winning commentaries elicit both praise and complaints because he tells it like it is. He welcomes them both equally. Wingnuts, let's find out what the state of the industry is for them, their furnitures. Help me in welcoming Warren Schulberg to the Wingnut Social Podcast. Hey there, Warren Schulberg. Welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast. How the hell are you? I am uh, not bad for a person in the afternoon, so thank you for asking. Hey, the afternoon. Hey, it's whiskey o'clock. That's our best time. He said a double. A double, a bourbon. Yeah, a double bourbon. I'll have that coming right up to you. <laughs> On this wingnut flight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in the green room, Natalie and I and you were talking a little bit about what the show is going to be about. So I did mention we had a couple of designers on who talked about how successful they've been with retail stores for their interior design business, having furniture in three dimensions where clients can come shop in, in, in the real world. And I had read a couple of your amazing articles on Forbes.com and elsewhere about the state of the furniture industry now. And we all see it. On the interior design side, clients wanting to shop us on the Wayfairs and Howls and, and doing a lot of online shopping rather than actually going and physically entering a store. And a lot of stores, a lot of chains are, are closing down because some of these digital companies are replacing them. So we wanted to dive in and see, is there still a place for the interior designers with a physical showroom or should we, should we start adjusting like yesterday? Okay. I think you're going to be safe for at least the next hour and a half anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so don't close down your shop for at least... <laughs> the for, next hour while you listen to this podcast. Yeah, yes. you're, you're, yeah, you can listen to this podcast. Don't close anything down. Afterwards might be another story. So <laughs> what do you say, Warren? I, it's a deal. It's a deal. It's definitely a deal. 
<laughs> okay, so so tell us a little bit about what you've been observing. Like I said, I had read some of your articles, but for the sake of our listeners, what have you been observing in the um, furnishings industry as far as trending online shopping versus the old-fashioned brick and mortar? I should tell you that the furniture and home furnishings industry has interior design envy right now. They all want interior designer business. They want to work with interior designers. They want to set up interior designer departments. They've decided that interior design channel is their ticket to success. So on the one hand, you're in a good spot in that the traditional retailers have identified interior design as a growing market. But on the other hand, you've got a lot of people that would like to take that business away from you. So it's a, a good and bad situation. I think what you're seeing on the retail side is the dreaded consolidation, but I think it's more a matter of concentration. Retailers are trying to become more focused on a specific model. You've got the poster boy for success right now in home furnishings retailing is RH. RH was a colossal failure for many, many years, and they decided they were going to focus on the better good side of the business. They were going to open these showrooms that are the size of condominium uh, complexes, <laughs> yeah. and they were going to go after that business with interior designers on their staffs, and they've kind of become the poster boy for a lot of other retailers that are looking at trying to follow that model. I remember that. And of course, we're talking about restoration hardware. Yes. And yes. Um, gosh, what was it like seven, eight years ago? They maybe even further back, they actually had a physical location not too far from us. And I saw that they totally restructured. Now everything's online with just a showroom where you could go and touch and feel it, but you can't really buy anything from there. You have to order it basically online. So it's a, kind of a little bit of a hybrid, I guess, in a way. Mm, yeah. That showroom, darling, now that everything's online, I do remember the places where we could go shop. There used to be one. In our hometown, it was the falls. You could actually go pick up things and buy things. And then the whole new came in, mm -hmm. and that was in Aventura, which is an, an hour and 10 minutes where our normal drive was only 20. Yeah. And exactly. then yeah. they even had a factory outlet, and they, they shut down. The yeah. factory outlet shut down. And it, it's only that online retail store where you can sec check out everything online, but you actually, if you want to see it, you go to the physical location. So, Warren, so you're saying Restoration Hardware setting a precedent. Who's following suit in that business model? Well, I think, and, and just to clarify, RH, you're absolutely right. They used to have a lot more stores. They were generally located in shopping malls or lifestyle centers, and they were relatively small, 20,000 square feet. And under the, the current management, which is a fellow named Gary Friedman, who is also the person who really invented Pottery Barn in a prior life, he's decided that these showrooms, he doesn't like to call them flagship stores, but these big stores that are 60, 70, 80,000 square feet, often with restaurants or bars or, or cafes, are the way that they want to do business. So they are opening more of those kind of stores and closing those little neighborhood stores. So that's kind of how they have reformatted themselves. They still do the majority of their business online, but they do want to continue to open these galleries, they call them, that are us commoners would call them flagships. So RH, to their credit, has done a great job with this model. 
I think the retailer that should have beat them to this was Ethan Allen. Uh, mm. Ethan Allen had this customer. They had a, an interior designer-based business, and they had interior designers on their staffs, and they've kind of floundered around and have not been able to execute it well. The typical Ethan Allen store is still only uh, 20, 25,000 square feet, and it just doesn't give the presentation that an RH store does. Right. So got um, a, a situation where this should have been their moment of glory, and they they're not doing it. So Ethan Allen could be the Toys R Us or the blockbuster of the furniture industry here. If they're, I don't know. They've still got a pretty good balance sheet, and they're a public company, and they continue to be profitable. But they kind of miss the window to occupy the space that RH is in now. So with these big box stores going this direction or seeming to be trending this direction, where does that leave the little guy, the little interior designers with their retail showrooms? Is there still going to be a place for them beyond the hour of this podcast or in you know, for a few more years? Or do you think that interior designers might really consider, you know, spreading themselves out and offering furniture over the internet as well through their websites or becoming more internet savvy in that way? Or what are your thoughts on that? I think any smart business cannot ignore the internet as a piece of their business. It's not going to be everything. It's not going to be the answer for everybody. But to say, I'm not going to do business online, I think, is to bury your head in the sand. In a different business entirely, Burlington Stores, which is kind of an off-price guy that does have some home business, but primarily in fashion, their uh, online business was half a percent of their total business. And they announced last week that they were getting out of the online business completely. And I think that's a big mistake. I just think you cannot ignore it. It's going to be a piece of the business and every retailer or interior designer needs to figure out how they're going to do it. The case study there is Pier One. Exactly. In 2009, I think, under one of its uh, many uh, management regimes, uh, a new CEO came in and said, we're going to shut down online. We're only going to focus on stores. And so they shut down their online business completely. And now aren't they closing so many stores? Aren't they close to Chapter 11? Or they, they filed bankruptcy. They're closing 450 stores. And frankly, I think the other 450 are not far behind them. So their lack of embracing online, and they did get back into e-commerce, but their lack of staying current and having to catch up, in my mind, was a big part of their demise. So any business, I think, has to look at, at e-commerce as a factor in their business. I have to say, uh, to your Burlington point, I've seen a couple of the big warehouse stores opening up here. And I did read your article, and I'm thinking to myself, what the hell are they thinking? I don't know if they're trying to be counterintuitive and buck the trend and you know try to ride that that opposite wave, but I agree with you. I think that they're making a mistake. And Natalie had something to add. Yeah, because I'm sitting here thinking from the interior design side a little bit, 
you know, all these stores that might be closing and, and some of them that are getting rid of the online presence. And I believe you said that interior designers may need to think about becoming online and putting their products as they sell online. Do you mean as like an affiliate link, like go to these big box stores or some of the stores that carry some of the same stuff you carry and try to get in that way? Or like a whole new shebang here, look, I sell this as well and differentiate themselves that way or tag along with an affiliate link? Hooking up with an existing retailer is a really dicey proposition. You end up becoming a uh, an adjunct and you end up becoming an afterthought to them. So if I was running an interior design business, I'd be very wary of doing that. You know, unless you're prepared to subjugate yourself completely and become an interior designer who works for RH, let's say. And again, RH has interior designers who are full-time employees of the company. And my guess is that many of them had their own businesses and kind of gave them up. But unless you're prepared to go 100% in, I don't think that's the way to do it. But I think you can have an online presence and continue to mix that with your physical presence. And the balance is going to be different for every business, but there does need to be a balance. And I think you know, even though you've got stores like RH and even stores like Pottery Barn and West Elm are putting interior designers on their staffs now, to me, they are a training ground and they're training the shopper to say, okay, this is how the interior designer role works out. This is what that person does. And as they progress in their life and their income and their lifestyles, I think it's a, it's almost a, becomes a, a minor league for interior designers who can benefit from this as those customers trade up. I, I, I really think that's a way to do it. I love that. I love that point of view. They're really they're just in the minor leagues and they're they're warming it up for us when we come in when they make the big bucks. I, I like that yep. a lot. It makes perfect sense in my mind because my mind is very simple. So that makes very, very good sense. <laughs> <laughs> so based on what you've seen, where do you think the market might trend in the next five years? Are we going to go all online and all these big box stores are going to go bye-bye and they're only going to be showrooms where we just go plan Virtual. Our, yeah, plan our butts in maybe? I mean, what do you think? I know this is spitballing here, but but just give me something. Yeah, you know, maybe I've got my head buried somewhere, but um, <laughs> I, I think you've still got a business where 80% of the sales are happening in physical stores and physical spaces. And that's going to continue to, to decline as a percentage, but to say it's going to go away anytime in our business lifetimes is probably unrealistic. Stores are going to continue. They're going to play different roles, and it's going to depend on the product. You know, there's all kinds of research coming out that says that Gen Z likes stores and and they enjoy the process of going to a store. Unlike a millennial that may that may have a different attitude. I don't know. I I I think there's a role for for the physical side of this, whether it's a store or a showroom. And I think people will continue to want to see a couch pattern or a kitchen countertop or a finish on a wood cabinet or on a bedroom armoire. I think they're going to want to still see it in person, particularly for big ticket items. And so I don't see anything coming along that's going to change that radically. 
Natalie and Giraffe. Yes, Darla Jethro Powell. Who is our go-to vendor for Darla Powell Interiors? Oh, that's easy. Curry and Company. And why is that, Natalie? Oh, because let me tell you, they have beautiful stuff. They are every designer's and, of course, project manager, that's me, dream to work with. <laughs> because did you know that over 90% of their stuff is in stock? That's like 1,700 SKUs at all times. I did. And Curry and Company has top-notch service, quick shipping, and very reasonable order minimums, which is really important. Absolutely. I know you guys go to them first. Say, hey, we're going to hit Curry and Company. What do they got? How can they help us? It's amazing. So Darla, where do they have to run on over to? That's right. So guys, be sure to head on over to curryandcompany.com and scroll your little fingers on down to that designer checkbox and sign up for their stellar trade program today. Oh, and be sure to tell Beth Ann that we sent you. She's amazing. I love Beth Ann. She's a fireball. I wish I had her energy. Again, that's KoreanCompany.com. You can thank us later. I think one of the biggest things that we get from even our clients on the interior design side, because we have an interior design firm also, is that our clients do want to see it, feel it, touch it. They might not want it delivered that next day. So I think what a lot of designers are doing, whether they realize it or not, is they kind of have an RH model. Their showroom is there. Here's the stuff. And then if you like it, they'll order it for you and deliver it to you as a client. So maybe some of us are actually doing that in a smart manner, the way that it seems to be trending, just accidentally, just because of logistics for our clients. So Warren, let me ask you to keep your brick and mortar, if you do have a brick and mortar showroom, because we do have a lot of furniture owners, dealers, people that just own furniture stores who, who deal with vendors and stuff who aren't necessarily interior designers. What would you recommend or what would your best advice, having witnessed the industry trends, be for them to deliver that excellent service or something to set them apart to where they're not getting shopped as readily on Wayfair or Paragold or what have you? I think they've got to have a specific point of view. You know, I look at somebody, again, who no one's ever going to confuse them with the interior design business, but but Ashley Home Stores. So Ashley Home Stores is the largest retailer of home furnishings in the country right now bigger than Ikea, bigger than than rooms to go, bigger than anybody. And they've got a very specific point of view, which is we're going to sell you all the stuff you need at a great price in a package. And it's not going to last forever. And it's <laughs> not going to be the stuff you're going to pass down to your grandkids. But it's going to do the job for a while for you. And you're not going to be embarrassed by having this in your home. And that's the position that they've taken. So I think it's having a specific point of view. The retailers and the dealers in the showrooms that worry me are the guys that are trying to be all things to everybody. You know, if you look at general retailing, it's the stores that are kind of in the mid-market, JCPenney, Macy's, Kohl's, that are struggling the most because they don't have a specific point of view. You know, if you look at Walmart, or you say, okay, low prices. You look at Target, you say, uh, cheap, chic. <laughs> you look at RH and you say, luxury. But if you look at some other guys, and I'm not going to name stores because I'd like to still be able to not get kicked in the shins at the next furniture market, <laughs> these guys don't have a, a specific point of view. Those are the guys that I think are most susceptible to failure because the consumer just says, you know, I want a bargain. I'm going to this store. Right. I want luxury. I'm going to that store. You know, if they're looking to go to Macy's, I'm not sure what they say Macy's does for them. 
So, and again, I hate to pick on Macy's because I think <laughs> it's a fine store. Yes, you, it's a fine store. And that's a good I, point, Warren. In fact, that reminds me that we had Julia Malloy on from the Bold Summit, and she really focuses on high end interior design and interior designers in that industry and working with them. And she basically said the same thing, although we were discussing the design industry, that even the interior designers who are focused, you know, kind of middle of the road, they don't really specify in anything particularly. They're all things to all people. They're, they are kind of like the business that are going under aren't doing as well as the ones who are absolutely 100% niched and focused on either really high-end luxury and providing that experience or super affordable budget and design. Like, you know, they're either a Walmart or they're a, a Neiman Marcus kind of thing. That, But the middle of the road, again, is, is kind of fading away and going out. And I have to ask you, is there any hope at all for Pier 1? Because I, I kind of used to love them. <laughs> <laughs> That was a personal question, Warren. <laughs> yeah. That was all um, personal. I have a complex answer, but I'll give you the short one. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty simple. They stopped being relevant to their customers. I have this theory, which has shockingly been backed up by a, a company that does some traffic studies, that Pier 1 and Target are kind of a yin and yang kind of business. And when Target has its act together on the home decor front, they are taking customers from Pier 1. And when uh, Target does not know what it's doing, Pier 1 picks up customers. So if you look at what Target has done the last four years, they've done a great job in their home decor, w w whether it's with uh, yeah. Chip and Joanna Gaines or a couple of their other private label brands. They've done a terrific job. They're pulling those customers out of Pier 1. So... Pier 1, the stores look terrible. They're oddly merchandised. Uh, the furniture never seems to quite be properly put together, and it creaks, and it, uh, it's <laughs> That's true, level. actually, yeah. They, yeah. It's sad because I used to like Pier 1, too. I remember back in the day going back there, and we're talking, oh my gosh, we must, we're probably talking 40 years ago when Pier 1 was here in Miami, going in there and getting those little, it, you remember they used to have a, a big Asian section? Yes, I don't know if you dude. recall. Yeah, right? And then they used to have those little rice candies where you could eat the wrapper yeah. with it. And that's my, <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm aging myself, I'm dating I'm not myself old here. No, you're not old enough. I'm Sorry. sure there's listeners out there that remember that. So they kind of have a soft spot in my heart. I remember going there with my mother shopping when I was a kid. So it's sad to see. It's sad to see see a lot of these stores just going down in flames because they were not what's the word I'm like forward looking enough to to yeah they just failed to stay relevant and of course you stopped eating those candies so it's really your fault you know <laughs> yeah uh, you know how many rice candies I would have to eat to keep them in business <laughs> so many uh, oh no, you know if you think about it a lot of the pier one stores are kind of across the parking lot from rotten shopping centers. <laughs> yeah. And so those shopping centers are, are in a steep decline. And so they're just not getting the spill off from the centers from people who, who saw it across the lot and said, Oh, I'm going to spin over to, to pier one. So they've got lots of problems, but I think at the core of it is that they just lost their way from a merchandising standpoint and have not been able to reinvent themselves. I'm sitting here listening, trying to wrap my brain around all of this. And I really think that if a designer, I want to know your opinion here. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. But if a designer is smart and they play their cards correctly and they get that online presence and they get the purchasing through them, that they may last longer than this podcast. 
<laughs> no, this podcast is forever. <laughs> well, I mean, in time-wise, minute-wise, because he said for the last hour, hour and a half. Uh, Remember true. that? Mm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Were you paying attention, Darla? Of course, always. Okay. I don't normally like to predict more than an hour and a half out because it gets <laughs> gets you in trouble. But yeah, I think the interior designer, the smart one that that understands the business and understands what they have to do to stay relevant and stay plugged in, I think they have a great future. You know, it was another era, and I have been covering retail for a long time, but maybe you remember that about 20 years ago, Home Depot started a division called Expo, and it was essentially an upscale interior design warehouse showroom. I don't don't know how else to describe it. It was a big store. I think they probably had 30 or 40 of them around the country, and they were not lumber stores and they weren't plumbing supply stores, but they had high-end plumbing fixtures and kitchen cabinets and they had furniture and they had textiles and rugs. And it was a a flat-on attempt to take on the interior design business. They did a nice job of it. And again, this was another era before the internet, before e-commerce, But the business failed because there was something about that relationship that interior designers have with their clients that they weren't able to duplicate. You know, I do remember that. I remember going to the showroom where they had kind of the elevated stuff. And first I was like, wait a minute, do I remember that? Yeah. They were not able to duplicate that relationship that interior designers have with their clients. And so I think that's kind of the secret sauce for interior designers that is what will help them stay relevant. I agree. Let me ask you real quick, Warren, before we get into the what up wingnut round. Wayfair, they just laid off 500 some odd jobs. What's going on there? So Wayfair um, has grown insanely quickly. I think they're up to $11 billion in sales. They have never made a penny since they went public six years ago, I think. Wow. Their losses continue to increase. And they subscribed to the Amazon School of Business, which was, we're going to pour all our money into growing. And when we get to a certain scale, that's when we're going to start to make money. And uh, investors bought into this and they were able to get the funding to do it. I think with the way the, the investment community has been looking at at startups and these kind of businesses recently, they're rethinking that. When you think about Amazon, Amazon's Real profit does not come from its retail business. It comes from its web services business, and it comes from its advertising business. As best as anybody can figure out, its retail business essentially breaks even. And more than half of Amazon's retail business is now hosting third-party marketplace sellers. And all Amazon does is take a cut on it. So Wayfair does not have web services, does not have advertising, and essentially does not have a third-party marketplace. So they're counting on retail sales to drive their business, and it ain't going to work. So Wayfair is a company in search of a savior, which could end up being Amazon, for all we know. Right. Amazon is actually taking on some higher-end furnishing companies. Yep. yep. So that I, I could see that happening. Because it sounds like from what you're saying, Wayfair as it is, is not sustainable at all. It's not. And something's going to have to give. They are understructured in their distribution business. You know, if you think about Amazon has 100, 200, 300 massive distribution centers around the country. Wayfair has about three. (laughs) 
Wayfair has two stores. And I think what we've seen from every online company is that they need stores, whether it's Warby Parker or Casper or whoever, mm-hmm. they've got to have stores. So Wayfair has a huge capital spending challenge ahead of it. So they're going to need more money. Something's going to give. I don't know when. Right now, it's still a sweet deal for the consumer. And I know it frustrates the hell out of furniture stores uh, that you can buy a a $500 sofa and they'll deliver it for free when a store, their costs on delivering a, a couch is 60 bucks. I can't tell you how frustrating it is for designers that they get shopped out from under with Wayfair and, you know, it'll come broken and everything and then they're on their own. Yep. So, we, you know, we try to tell them the difference in the experience. But, yeah, it's there's a lot of designers listening who would not be horribly heartbroken were they not to go on. Well, I'd say that I know the pain and suffering Wayfair has caused to other people who are trying to, to sell similar products. But I would say that this is not sustainable. It's not going to go on forever. I don't know when the bubble bursts, but it's going to. Okay. Well, that is quite an interesting warning. And I hope that if you're listening out there, interior designers, that you have paid attention to what Warren has told you to keep yourself relevant going forward and now. And maybe go back and listen to the episode we have with Julia Malloy on the higher end interior design genre and focusing on that customer service and that luxury because that no matter what happens isn't going anywhere because you're always going to have that percentage that has that expendable income. Warren, now I have to ask you if you're ready for the what up wing nut round. Okay, I've I had my Wheaties, I had my double bourbon, so <laughs> I'm about as good as I'm going to be. Now it's time for what up wing nut. Wing nut. Warren Schulberg, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be and why? I think I would want to be a giant redwood because I like the lifespan. I think it's a it's a good run. It's sturdy. I just don't want to be one of the ones that you drive a car through. So other than you that, beat I'm me good to it. You beat me to it. I was going to ask you. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you're my kind of guy. What would the hashtag on your tombstone be? You know, you you mentioned that, and I was trying to think about that. <laughs> I guess it would be fun, fun, fun till they took the T bird away from me. <laughs> are, are you a Beach Boys fan? Yeah, yeah. I'm of that age, yeah. (laughs) That's okay, I am too. If you could have only one superpower, what would it be and why? It would be a flying because I'm really fed up with TSA and it would be so much better just to be able to get someplace of my own uh, power and not have to worry about uh, airport security and the guy in front of me uh, reclining his, his seat. Would you still carry those little packs of peanuts with you? I would, but again, I think the double bourbon would be uh, would be way ahead of that. All right, Warren, last but not least, please recommend a book that has had a profound effect on you or impact, either personally or professionally. So I'm going to be a, uh, a contrarian here and destroy whatever reputation I have is that I am not a book reader. And I know as a writer and a journalist, that is blasphemy. <laughs> But I am a newspaper and magazine junkie. I read both hard copy and online, three or four newspapers a day, at least half a dozen magazines a week. And I think keeping up with what's going on out there is the most important thing. And picking and choosing the right things to read, if I could recommend one publication in the world for people who are trying to understand what in the hell is going on out there. There's a magazine called The Economist 
that is, despite the name, covers everything to do about the world we live in, and it's terrific. It, it really gives great overview of things, easy to read, well-written, and my regular readership of that does more for me than any anything else. And that's really important, as you've said, to stay relevant. So then what better way to do it? Warren, besides stupidbusiness.com, where our wingnuts can go and read your blog, where else can they find you? So I am a lowly paid journalist for <laughs> Forbes.com and uh, Business of Home, which I think does a nice job covering uh, the home business. Very nice. Also write for um, some of the magazines that I used to work for. I spent most of my career in business journalism for business-to-business magazines in the home furnishings industry. So not so much for magazines for the interior design business, uh, but this is more for retailers. Uh, Home Furnishings News, uh, Home Textiles Today, Gifts and Decorative Accessories Magazine. So all of those magazines, which I continue to write for. So um, Awesome. I will uh, I will write for anybody that will give me a blank page. <laughs> awesome. And we will look forward to reading your updates on the furnishings industry. And in particular, I kind of want to see what's going to go down with Wayfair, and I'm sure you will be the first to report on it. Warren Schulberg, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. You have given us a lot of things to think about for our showrooms and the furnishings industry and the state of the industry today and to come. Thank you so much. Well, and thank you. Love the questions. I like doing these because the questions help me understand what's important to different people. So thank you. Natalie and Giraffe. Guest star with Jethro Powell. Warren has all the skinny. He does about Pier 1 and all that good stuff. I'm a little heartbroken about Pier 1, but I have to be honest, Wayfair, not so much. Is that awful? Is that awful of me? I should wish the best for everybody, right? You should. Rising <laughs> tide kind of thing, Darla, come on. I know a lot of designers, though, out there are grinding their teeth at all the clients that said, oh, I found this for $1.72 cheaper on Wayfair. I know. And, <laughs> and you know, I'm still going to go with Julia Malloy, and there is always going to be those people that really want that high-end design. And I really don't think that's ever going to go away. I don't think so either. So I think if you you niche and specialize in that and you do provide that luxury experience, but it was really cool how he was talking about, oh, I didn't want to say, but he already knows this, I'm sure, Warren. Restoration hardware also isn't something that designers are in love with Generally speaking, I'm not, I don't want to be smirch restoration hardware because I do have some stuff at my home from them, which we do love. But the business model itself might just be brilliant. Maybe. Uh, maybe they got maybe. bars, they got, you know, alcohol brings all people. And we do saying. kind of do that, right? In our showrooms, we do have it laid out and then we order it for you. It's not like you're going to take it out of our warehouse that day. Some people might. But generally speaking, that's kind of how we roll too. Hey. So something to think about if you're going to rest on your laurels and you're going to be like a Toys R Us or a Blockbuster or, God forbid, maybe even a Pier 1 and not stay relevant, you're going to, this is my store, this is the way I'm going to run it, or this is my design business. I think it parallels over that to that too. And not worry about the internet and not worry about the digital age and what's going on there. I think that your future is nigh. I think, it, you're, you know, it's limited. But I, I personally do think there will always be a place for people to go and sit their butts, that 80%. I think it will go down. I think it's going to keep going down. But there's, like I said, and the, the designers listening know that the clients always do want to put their hands on it. So 
get on the internet, get on social media. And I have some more thoughts on that, but I think I'm going to have to run them by Darla before I can elaborate on them because I have to get her to uh, <laughs> see it my way and, and try to explain myself a little better. Explain. That's explain. right. Explain yourself, Lucy. That's right. You have some explaining to do. I have lots of explaining to do. <laughs> Guys, check out the show notes at wingnutsocial.com slash podcast. Check us out on social at wingnutsocial. And if you need any help with your social media marketing to stay relevant... In the year 2000. Remember that? Look us up. Remember that from Conan O'Brien? No. In the future? No, of course you don't, Amish. Look us up at wingnutsocial.com. Schedule a little appointment down there to see what we can do for you and your marketing for your high-end interior design firm, right? Because that's where we're all going now. (laughs) (laughs) After listening to Warren, yes, we all need to be high-end. And I think that's it for today, Nat. You got anything else? Nope. So long. See ya. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to tune in next week for more business and marketing info and insightful interviews with industry experts and design superstars. Can't wait? Then head on over to wingnutsocial.com for more great content to help you get your business to the next level. Are we recording? Yeah. Okay. I'm just making sure. <laughs> just make, I don't know. That just popped in my head. Sorry. I want to pop you in your head. Hey, if you could get off your phone. Uh, just a second. Help me think about what we're talking about. Okay, hold on. I can't wait till the new Minions movie comes out. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Wingnuts, help me in farting. <laughs> what was I going to say? Hold on. Da, 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 da. Okay, Natalie, if you could stop looking at your phone, pay attention like you're halfway interested. I just got a new client. Hush your mouth. Good boy, Mango.